everybody, and welcome back to the DXM podcast. I am Colborn Bell. I am joined today by the artist known as Una. Uh, Hello, darlings. Yeah, it's been super, super marvelous just watching your trajectory, uh, all of this like fun, creative, like thought-provoking interrogations that you've been doing. It was just like so nice and refreshing, and we're super blessed to, to have you here today. Thank you. Uh, we'll start where we always start with all of our guests. Uh, and I'd love for you to tell us anything about Una, how they were born, uh, and what this means to you. You know, gosh, you, like, you think that's an easy question. It's really not an easy <laughs> question. Um, you know, I guess I'll start by just like, yeah, I'm very grateful to be here. I'm very happy to be here with you. Um, I think as Una, as kind of like a, you know, an idea was born in 2021, uh, November. So it's like right around NFT NYC. And and that's where I joke that I was born. And that was a really interesting time to kind of, um, you know, everyone calls it a space. And I really don't like that in industry is how I see it. So it was an interesting time to enter the industry because everyone was in this mega high. And there was a lot of like, yeah, go rah, rah, rah. And a lot of that kind of, um vibrancy which I really liked and now it's interesting you know kind of like a year and a bit later that everyone is kind of yeah switching up tunes and just to see the evolution of it you know everything is iterative and everything will kind of flow and I feel like Una is is yeah just starting to blossom really so let's speak to that like first initial attraction was it just kind of the wild west nature was it just kind of the aliveness the spirit of uh the industry that brought you in? Oh, I think it's a good question. Like, yes and no. Um, you know, part of it is like the attraction of, cool, this is new means to sell digital art, but I've been making art for a really long time. And then, you know, kind of COVID happened and all of a sudden, like my living situation changed, everything kind of shifted and changed. And I was now in a place where I couldn't paint. Um, you couldn't really do performance art. So I started to make a whole bunch of video art and use them kind of as like visual poems. And I would just share them with my mates, like, oh, cool, this is a little thing. And even at the time I didn't have social media, which was like kind of crazy for everyone. (laughs) And so doing that, I I just got a lot of responses from people that were like, why aren't you trying to actually kind of put this somewhere? Mm. And I kind of, you know, I had a pulse on NFTs, had a pulse on crypto. I've been in crypto for a while, but, you know, the the crypto art movement as its own kind of um, budding identity, I noticed that there was like some things I was really attracted to about it and some things that I really, really hated. (laughs) And kind of, you know, just deciding like, all right, well, let's make this specifically about that tension point, like, I love the technology. I love its applications for artists. You know, you and I have spoken before about how it's astronomical for, you know, women and non-binary artists who are traditionally left out of the canon entirely to have some type of mechanism that preserves your work is is just, it's amazing. And then there's the, oh my God, you have to deal with some of the community. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you know, it's... um... I think, you know, crypto art continues to search for its identity, and I don't think that's a bad thing, right? It definitely relates to to power, access, and inclusion, 
uh, self-sovereignty. Um, and then on the other side of crypto, of course, like beyond the philosophical, you have something that is so pure capitalist, so pure market driven, and so much of like what is said to be valuable is just mirroring exactly uh, kind of what came before. So it is hey. like, go ahead, please. Hey. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 it's just a totally. That's it. That's all I, I, I yeah. want to say. <laughs> I mean, just this, it's just this tremendous dichotomy, this tremendous tension. Um, and there's so much space to interrogate between it. And that is always what I've loved about your work. Uh, this is, this is like provocative digital art that pulls you down into something so much deeper if you want to see it. Uh, so I'd love to begin to kind of explore maybe some of the different we'll call them incantations that Una has uh, taken. Right on, right on. Well, just before that, I want to validate entirely that kind of, um, you know, identity as as part of something that naturally evolves. Like, it, it has to evolve. And I'm kind of really grateful, actually, for where we are right now with NFTs and with crypto art because we are in that awkward moment of kind of that evolution and and that needs to happen, right? The, the, the picture that I have is, you know, in 2020, you have the very like cartoon character and you have all these characters that are like running super fast and like trying to go to the gold mine. And now you basically have that same kind of cartoon aesthetic, but everyone's just in this like sandpit kind of fighting and then randomly one head pops out here and then randomly another head pops out here. And I think that that's kind of, that that's the moment that I see where we're at right now. And this this tension that you discussed, which I find so interesting between the, the ethos that the technology could embody and how it actually is practiced, right? Like that that that's where my my practice is gets like its bread and butter, so to speak, right? Like I I love crypto for this idea that you can be entirely self-sovereign, autonomous you're in charge. Now, as a female artist in a female body living in the world that we live, those are two ideas that really you don't have very often. Like your autonomy on a physical level, on a kind of intellectual level, it, it's often not seen on par. And that that's where, you know, we can loop that into a segue of like, I don't know which body I'm working on to talk about because I've made quite a few, um, but it, it's that tension point that I like to pull on. Like, how is the, how is the technology um, outpacing our ways of seeing? Mm. I mean, there's, there's a tremendous shift as well in kind of the nature of identity in this technology, the ability to be pseudo-anonymous, the ability to kind of reveal and share elements. There are, you know, it's, it's very interesting to me that so many collectors remain anonymous. Um, and, there's, and there's so many like successful artists that remain anonymous. And like, I'm, it's, it's almost like the more we reveal about ourselves, like the less chance that the art has to shine through. Totally, totally. I, I think that, you know, for me, part of the anonymity is, you know, <laughs> this is a perfect example. I kind of knew going into NFT NYC that it was going to be a sea of mostly men. <laughs> yeah. This is for the first one. So I was like, all right, we're going to like conceal the face, wear things that are very loud. So it's very obviously about the body. But as soon as you kind of 
hide one layer of it, it does instinctually trigger the question of, well, what is their identity and who are they? And hmm. and it, it kind of like, I don't know, in a subtle way, in a not subtle way, like it just kind of flips it on its head. It's like, well, what are you trying to look at? Are you trying to look at my body? Are you trying to look at my, my face? Are you trying to read the emotions or are you trying to like read it as a thing? So it's really fun to play with. And I think the Anand thing is so important and it makes me so sad that, you know, it's gotten to a point that, um, shall we say, people are so used to taking advantage of it that mm. there's been a large, at least I've noticed, kind of like a, whoa, how could you do that? And a bit of like pushing it away as a concept. But really, when you see what it's doing, it's validating that we have different facets of our lives <laughs> and of our identity and the ability to kind of consciously choose which one I want to present now. Great. That's great. Do it. Use it. <laughs> I mean, like a marked generational shift in the fluidity of identity is 100% happening. It's absolutely being accelerated by like presence and exploration uh, within like niches of the internet. And suddenly people have the just ability to discover so much more about themselves. Um, I think that's really cool. And I agree. And I think that this idea that, you know, the the digital should mirror the physical, I just, I don't agree. They're two, to me, entirely wonderful and very separate things. That there's no need for there to be like any direct kind of parallel between the two, right? Like it's totally fine to have one online identity and one one online kind of way of experiencing and it doesn't even need to be one it can be many you know which is like it, it's fun to kind of play with it that way so long as you're doing it in a way that or at least my guidelines you know like well be a good fucking human about it and be a good artist about it and then everything else checks out yeah facts i, I was having this conversation last night with the friends you know uh kind of we it, it, this this generation is so used to now like the exponential progression of technology right that we almost have to bake the ability to change and be flexible and be fluid and and like refute long-term planning and kind of all of the idioms of success of past generations no longer really work and apply um but at the end of the day you know there's still nothing that beats like disconnecting returning to yourself like and and again, just like a, a massive, massive dichotomy of having so much exposure and then needing to like synthesize and integrate it. Totally, totally. And I think that, you know, on that notion, it's it it's interesting to think that it, at least how I view my practice, I need a lot of space for moments where I don't know what's going to happen. And in mm. the NFT space, everyone's like, where's the roadmap? Where's the utility? Mm. Where's this? Where's that? And it's like... I don't know, I've always had the approach of like, no roadmap, only hype, only, <laughs> like, I, I just think that, you know, th that's another dichotomy that we're like putting all this pressure on artists to kind of have, it's not a strategy because everyone has a strategy and I'm not trying to say that other artists don't, but to have kind of a clearly very capitalist, structured, articulated, this will happen then, this will happen then, this will happen then, it's a little bit like, wait, but where are the aha moments? And as a culture, why aren't we kind of, you know, 
slightly rejecting the notion that artists should have roadmaps and that artists should be projects. It's like, no, they're bodies of work, they're pieces, they're things that are like, you know, if you even think about it, this is one that I've been playing with quite a lot recently, but, you know, musically, you can get to a place in music and then all of a sudden you hit one key and it slightly sounds like, oh, they just fucked up. Or like, oh, that's out of tune or that's, oh, that's out of whatever, like off key. And then you hit one more note after it and it resolves. Mm. And so having those little mm. moments of like, wait, it just went here for a second and now there's resolution. Like, and for me, my, my work will always be defined. Like the prior work that I do will always be defined by the thing that comes next <laughs> in a weird way. Cause it's always the kind of, you know, future resolving the past or kind of giving mm. more context or more color or more kind of bravado or con concept even to everything that came before it. So this idea of like, have a roadmap, have it structured. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is, this is like being a human and synthesizing and, and integrating, but at the same time, like capital wants formism <laughs> right like value people people that are yeah. investing in in so art i mean it's so it's so crazy to be so far out on the risk spectrum of like assets to even one consider it investing people call themselves degenerates for a reason um but they they yeah i i hate that too of course right it's like terrible yeah and just like the immediate liquidity in these markets, right? Has the, it, it's, anyways, it is all just kind of like a fun, wild mess. Um, but that was, of course, what attracted me to your work is that really it's, it's like loud <laughs> it's and It's a fun, wild and, mess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, it just, it just doesn't like, it, it, it is so intentional in like just the, the right ways I think we should probably like begin to talk about it um, outside of concept and, and more practically. I don't know where you would want. To, I mean, we could start at that NFT NYC experience. Uh, oh, honestly, I, wherever I'm like, I'll go, I'll go every place. Yeah. So, well, why don't we just kind of ground it? Where did you find that people were looking at you at NFT NYC? Um, what's your preface by saying like? I, I use the body as a piece of art in and of itself. So, you know, <laughs> I think my entire life, not in, you know, this, I've always felt like people are looking, especially kind of men. And I've always felt like I've been an object of gaze. So with Una, it's like, motherfuckers, you're not going to be able to look away. <laughs> like, I'm commanding your attention. And like, when I walk into a room and I'm going to make like quite a big punch. And so, you know, I've always gone with different kind of, um, yeah, with different kind of, I don't know, I don't like to call them costumes, but garments rather. And I've had quite a few interesting garments. And for me, they always have like a concept with, you know, the piece of art that I'm trying to like articulate. So at NFT NYC, the first one, I went as Bad Kitty. Um, and I was doing this piece about uh, Kitty wants to walk away. And it was this <laughs> imagery of like, is it a cat? Is it a lioness? And and how does the, the feline who's on a leash really kind of break free, right? Mm. And the whole thing is that the kitty is there for money. <laughs> I was an FD NYC to sell art. I'm there for money. But at the same time, there's this like insane desire to kind of walk away from all of that. So 
um that was a fun kind of one and then I've done other like really interesting ones that kind of play on that tension point so at NFT Basel not this year but last year I went as new money old money still Miami honey (laughs) and that was really fun because I dress in dollar bills and people could pull them off and this was at the height of kind of crypto bull so everyone there was like oh I don't want your fiat I don't want your fiat kind of making all these strange kind of really classist and very capitalist statements um and then I would have the people who work there being like oh you drop this oh you drop this <laughs> trying to give me back the dollars and I was like no 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 you keep them so actually like it was quite a frustrating day for me in a lot of ways because I was just like oh my god these crypto bros really <laughs> killing me right now and then everyone who worked there like understood the commentary got that it was like very outrageous to be in Miami where you know we're there for art really we're there for money <laughs> and like everyone was there for money and it was like well I'm just gonna wear it and so I like to do kind of things like that with my practice that are very kind of like a bit in the face and you know yeah I I guess one thing that's kind of interesting as well for me is that like some people get it and it's really fun when they do mm. like immediately you know you look yourself and you know other people that see it in real life and that can look past kind of like the immediate thing or that it triggers that like little bit of a question for them great but man some people really don't fucking get it <laughs> I mean, I like, I like the intention, the conscious, I would imagine a conscious intention of kind of mirroring the, the incantation with like the symbology of the city. I think New York, like Wall Street, charging bull, super masculine. And then you have like the, the kitty on a leash, right? And of course, kind of like the objective is the same, but the symbol is, is so different. And you know that like that lioness released is so powerful. And then of course you go to Miami and that is just a city that is built on fast money and is like perpetually feels like it's sinking into the ocean because of climate change. So everybody in there is just like, um, so I I imagine that is intentional. I, um, I joke that Miami is like the kid that got really hot in middle school. (laughs) (laughs) So then they like never really got like interesting. They just kind of stayed hot I guess <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah Miami to me has that level of it and it's shifting you know like I could talk a lot of shit about Miami but it's shifting for sure yeah I could too we don't have to go there um <laughs> <laughs> you know but but what it is great at of course is is facilitating sales of art this is true this is true this is true and you know it's really good when you need to command an audience and um yeah that 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 I think is you know another zing of kind of the the una character the art the performance art it's always in some ways you know commanding attention kind of demanding kind of looking and 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 past that you really like I, i it totally becomes death of the author however people want to read it or interpret it that that's totally on you but I'm going to command as the performance artist here that like I have your attention even if it's only for a split second and that was really interesting like um all right I'm going to loop it back in but to the milking performance in Art Basel in Miami recently commanding an attention in an art fair where the whole goal is for people to spend their eyes 
looking at things. And then you just say, actually, over here, you think you've been looking at something for like two hours. Now I'm going to give you a show. It's really, it's really fun. <laughs> I <Yeah>. like it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, so my experience in, in art fairs has always been, it's it's so much of just the show. It's like being seen, everything being seen, everybody looking, walking around. Um, you know, there's a great psychology study that looked at people on the street of New York. And if two people were, were looking up at something, nobody else would look up. But if three people were looking up, then everybody would stop and begin to stare and, and try and wonder what's going on. So how you begin to just divert everybody's own mind space of kind of like into something that is like concentrated. I think you did really well. And I think probably let's begin maybe to start with how was this performance conceptualized? And then we can talk about perhaps how it was enacted. Great. Um, you know, I'm, I, I love art. <laughs> I guess I guess that's where the concept really begins. Um, but contextually for me, this piece has like really deep roots with a valley export. Um, and we kind of mentioned this before, but it's touch cinema, right? Like she was very frustrated with the way that the breasts were being kind of um, displayed, hypersexualized by the advent of kind of color cinema. And so she put a mini cinema around her chest and she went out to the street and she allowed for random people to touch her breasts amazing performance for me because it does a couple things one it kind of immediately puts the artist and the audience like boom same playing field there's no pedestal there's no nothing there's there's no context even really around it and and the ways in which she was doing it like it, it's almost less about her at all and it's more about the audience and how the reaction to it and that is kind of like I just think as an as a concept to like be doing something so strong with your body and then have, you know, you become almost like the diminished part of it. Like it's very interesting to me. And I've been kind of running with this idea for a while that, you know, I'm just frustrated sometimes how the breast is kind of really treated. And, you know, a lot of my art has nudity, um, not even that it's about sex, it's just about bodies. And as such, there's some nudity. And, you know, kind of getting a lot of censorship and getting a lot of like, oh, this post has been removed, this post has been removed, blah, 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 blah. all right, whatever, we all know that kind of saga. I was like, well, fuck it, let's do something that kind of bridges this, right? Makes art on the same playing field as the audience that kind of targets very specifically that layer of censorship and is still driving that question of like, why are these things so hypersexualized hmm. and what is so outrageous about them? So I wanted to do something that was, you know, of the breast, of a live breast, of, of a breast that is offering utility. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I loved it. You know, it's, I mean, the, the concept of just like America and its relationship to sexuality and all of these like puritanical views that have carried forward from a past that doesn't exist. And then kind of like the promotion of, uh, you know, selling everything with like young, attractive people and, and sexual tension. And again, it's, it, you don't find it in Europe, of course. Right. No. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, 
let's keep going. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, meandering. But I just, I, I find that fascinating, just like the American psyche's relationship to sexuality, to bodies, uh, and to the way that we kind of try and maintain these views that we don't actually live. Incredibly hypocritical. I think your cat thinks it's hypocritical too. I know, he heard something that he... Come here, darling. Well, we can, we can cut <laughs> this it. part. No, I think we should just roll with it. I like it. Cool, yeah. It's funny. Yeah, it, it, it echoes to all hell in here. So let's, let's, let's bring it back, you know, just, uh, you know, maybe people, I would imagine people may be unfamiliar. It received tremendous uh, press attention, but why? What... What was the performance? Right. Well, the performance was actually meant to be something entirely different. And it was, you know, from a series of rejections and small, small peen decisions, um, that it got removed from the official program. And so then, you know, I think as artists, like it's an opportunity for me, at least to be like, cool, do I believe in this idea enough that as soon as I've gotten rejection from where it's like officially meant to be on the program at one art fair, Am I still going to push it? Am I still going to do it? And so the answer was obviously yes. And so I decided to do this wild gorilla performance art piece with Laurie Baldwin called Milking the Artist. And essentially we kind of summoned the attention of Art Basel and proceeded to ask two questions. And we really had to use an economy of language because, you know, security was going to kind of get us. <laughs> so really quickly we were just like commanded the attention in I don't know, a matter of like 15, 12 seconds had commanded like a crowd of, I don't know, three, 400 people, everyone with their phones out. And we were just like, why does Art Basel fetishize the female breast and then reject it when it's attached to a living body? And then Laurie unrobed me and I proceeded to, you know, milk my breasts into a shot glass and we carried out a live auction. So kind of <laughs> bringing again that hyper commodification of art right to the point questioning you know hopefully at least I think it, for me it does you know what is the value of women's artwork and women's artistic labor and mm. from there the fucking crowd ate it up and mm. you had people like jumping in on it and and bidding higher and the bids went all the way up to 200k and then the security like finally made their way through the crowd and very intensely escorted us out and that was also really fun you know and don't uh, yeah, don't mind making a show. And it was obviously like it did command a lot of attention. And and the aftermath was quite interesting to me because, you know, there was a little bit of like uh, the same reduction that the piece is kind of speaking to happened in the aftermath, right? You know, the headlines were two women, you know, milk breasts. It didn't have our names. It didn't have that we were artists, half of them, you know, like that that reduction of kind of like um, women's value, women's artistic labor happened in the press blowout. And I understand, you know, everyone has their clickbait, blah, blah, blah. But it was interesting to see that kind of, you know, even in the way that the piece was then spoken about and publicized, you know, in traditional mediums and even social media, like everyone had to censor it and they were fucking fake breasts. <laughs> Why do you have to censor a fake nipple? It's not even real. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just the image is too provocative. 
Yeah, so, it, will, it will make people go mad. <laughs> right, so they'll just lose their senses over these fake boobs. It's crazy to me. It is crazy. Uh, you know, okay, so before we interrogate, kind of like, let's, let's, because people on the ground got it, right? And I think mm. the questions that you picked up just in the audio of people talking about it, right? They were saying like, is this part of the arts? Like, you got people just like bidding and they had no idea because other people were bidding. It was like just a, an incredible fury and it almost like speaks to how the space is, right? Somebody calls loud attention. Everybody turns their eyes. People ape in. They have no idea what they're doing. And then generally it gets like totally, totally misinterpreted. Um, I think that it, death of the author is like an inevitable, right? Like there kind of has to be something with good art that it can't exclusively be about me it needs for everyone to have their own moment of kind of relationship to it but that notion of aping into me is so funny <laughs> and like I saw it happen like in the performance I'm standing there right and I'm like looking around as I'm like shouting and you know I was asking people like is this not art is this not art and like people are looking at me like they're so afraid like we were obviously being really loud and I was like in a bad mood for being honest so it's like really <laughs> guttural and then I see like this guy kind of you know who looks like a, a typical degen kind of run up to the front bid 70k and then run back to his friends <laughs> and that was like mate you don't even realize you're part of the art now thank you thank you and then like got so many responses from um mothers which obviously like you know I'm not a mum maybe one day, but no time soon, I don't think, that they were reading the piece so differently. It became exclusively about kind of, you know, breastfeeding. And for so many mums, it became a commentary on the formula shortage that happened in the States and the prices that mums were having to pay for formula versus kind of here's an artist selling breast milk for this price. So, you know, I think that that was one thing that was interesting to me, kind of each each arena, whether you were a mum, whether you were a female artist, whether you were kind of in crypto, each one had a different way of reading the piece. Hmm. And that that to me is like, I was happy with that. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I imagine you had no expectation of how it could or should be interpreted. No, I, there's, a, you know, um, a really good adage that I try and live by, like, what other people think of me is none of my business. Yeah. <laughs> Same for my art in a lot of ways. Like, you know, I, I think it's interesting. And then it's also kind of one thing that I've been reflecting on with this piece. And, you know, I'm really grateful for the opportunity to connect with you about it. And it's been so much fun and it's been kind of one of those like, yeah, this is like a, you know, celebration for the brain. It's a cerebral celebration to kind of get to have these types of conversations. But in the, in the general kind of, um, I don't know, community of NFTs, this piece has made very little waves, you know, like mm. it, it's just kind of one of those things that, you know, it didn't have like, any of the typical kind of influence associated with it so it didn't kind of even peak it has nothing to do with like yuga labs so also didn't really <laughs> peak you know like and it's it, 
that's fine. I think that often people don't address enough that there is like an inequity of attention or appetite within crypto art right now for true art, <laughs> you know? Things that are art that you can't flip don't really make that crescendo. And then the only people that we see or that I see really having those crescendo moments, it's to me a little bit like, your artwork is wonderful and I'm not trying to disparage that at all, but it's like, that's because you were just the first one in a way. And that notion of being first, like, I think it's super important. And yes, I think there's like, you know, a lot of accolades that should be given that way, but I've seen it become a little bit more of like a, if you were here first, then why aren't you doing more to lift people up to the same level that you're on? You know, that to me is like a little bit of like a head scratch with some, some ways of like the mass artists in the space. And even if you look at the breakdown of like, just Google NFT artists, like at a very base, base, base minimum, I'm not talking like, you know, if you really start to get into crypto art and if you're even having this conversation of like NFT art versus crypto art, <laughs> like that's already one layer for me. But even if you just Google it, it's like the top 10 that come up, it's like, right. It's a combination of you were here first. You have a very masculine attitude and you've just gotten a few people to kind of really bump your floor price. And honestly, how much of that was you bumping your own floor price? How much of that was wallet washing? <laughs> and then everyone, just as soon as they think the price tag is there, they're like, oh, it must be valuable. It must be good. And again, I'm not saying that's not valuable or not good, but I think this is part of a conversation that everyone needs to be able to have. Uh, I saw it happen in real time. I lived it, right? It was really, really disheartening to me how much capital drove the culture and the discussion was very price centric. Um, it wasn't particularly like that in the beginning, you know, more people came in, started colluding. I'll, I'll say without being specific, you're absolutely right. You know, so much of this was just like the first wealthiest whale passing the stuff down to the next wealthiest person to the next and then like the it wasn't even like fetishism of the art it was just like fetishism of the fact that it was the most expensive and that it was theirs um and you know there were numerous instances where we just saw uh you know like this raw masculine ego manifest itself and you know it's it's sad frankly it's, it is it's just like really really sad because there is so much <laughs> good art that gets overlooked yeah. that is never talked about that like i pray one day people will discover uh or i pray like somebody takes the chance to begin to like interrogate it um but that was very disheartening as well is is that you know, to discover that art is actually a, a niche, right? And the oh, people, it's a commodity. Yeah, I mean, like the people that are like creating true art are generally never the ones going out and like trying to to push it. Um, so, you know, I, I respect so much your courage in in doing both, and I'm very curious, like, where does this courage come from? Oh God. <laughs> 
um, you know, I don't take myself that seriously. And I think that that's really part of it. <laughs> and like, I think that it's just really a big part of it. It's like, that, that's also one thing that like, you know, in line with that kind of, this is important. This is like valuable. This is like that heavy masculine kind of energy that was so palpable. Like I was always just like, man, these people are taking themselves so fucking seriously. <laughs> like yeah. lighten up a little bit. Like you're making art. It's great. It's, I think it's one of the best things in the world, but it's a Bruce McLean quote. Um, that the only serious thing in the world is art. And the only mm. person that should never take themselves seriously is the artist. <laughs> they always like that kind of little one and you know I don't know like I've been really I've been really blessed my whole life that you know I just kind of had my own back and I think when especially the journey that I just went on with the milking piece <laughs> like over and over and over again it was just kind of have to have my own back like everything that went wrong with that piece that could have possibly gone wrong like the breastplate meant to arrive from Australia. I worked with a wonderful special effects company there, meant to arrive on X day. It arrives, you know, seven days late and broken. <laughs> it's like, oh my God, all right, next, iterate. Then like, you know, two weeks before I'm meant to do this on the actual program at Scope, again, email at 5 p.m. at night saying like, no, you're totally kicked. We we think we don't think it's on brand for this year. Like and, and just those moments, it was like I had a temper tantrum. I'm not gonna lie, I really had a cry. I was very upset yeah, about it. Yeah. And then it was like, all right, well, fucking have your own back again. And that kind of I think having your own back in, you know, it it's actually the ethos of what crypto is trying to do in some ways, very financially and from mm. a very kind of stability level. It's have your own back. Don't rely on anyone. You don't need kind of um, yeah, you don't need anyone else to be managing it for you, right? It's just application to finance. But if you kind of take that as a premise and apply it to art, it's right. Don't rely on a gallery. Don't rely on an agent. Don't rely on anyone giving you the permission. Do what you have to and do it. <laughs> like there's no one standing in your way but that. And I think that that's kind of, that's one way that I like that. Okay, I'm about to go on a weird metaphor. Right. <laughs> but I like thinking, you know, if we're layering things on top of each other, one of the very base things of kind of like surviving as a human is meeting your own financial needs. We're now at a time where kind of on a mass level, we're finally having more self-sovereignty with that, more autonomy. And it's finally becoming a notion that, you know, it is there and that we're starting to embody but that's still a very foundational point, right? Like then it's emotional sovereignty. Then it's like, how are you using your heart space and your compassion? Well, it's intellectual sovereignty. It's, it's kind of intuitive sovereignty. It's, uh, you know, knowingness. It's that kind of layering that crypto to me and those ideals are just the base and they're starting with finance. But those ideas, like I think of them just so vertically, and I'm excited that as a culture, we're finally hitting like the base one. <laughs> but like, I really think that like, what's exciting is like what happens up here, right? Like the finances is, it's quite basic. Crypto was, was my entry point into radical self-reliance. And 
the whole reason, <laughs> yeah, I wanted to, you know, continue to to spread and share this. And I, I saw, you know, crypto art and NFTs as a wonderful Trojan horse to get people to begin kind of applying the same principles. It's it's totally necessary. Uh, but because there's just like, of course, like there is a massive uh, loss of trust and faith in major institutions and brands and people are beginning to wake up to the fact that these people do not represent or care for for your for the common person anybody really is like visions values or needs yeah 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 una loves you though so anyone just know una loves you give your money to una <laughs> <laughs> money is love folks let's show money some love to love, una just give it here give it yeah, here give exactly. it here population are you listening yeah <laughs> Well, Una, uh, I have to say it has flown by. We are at our allocated time limit. Um, so I would love for you to share any final words you have. I think we got some good final words in. But also, please definitely let people know where they can find you, where they can find your art, if you're open to them getting in touch. And you know, if you have your ETH address memorized, you can tell people that to send you money. <laughs> you get amazing, amazing, amazing. It's actually now that you're paying attention, dot ETH. <laughs> That's one of the, um, I don't know. I guess like final final thoughts would say, obviously, like it's a pleasure. I really love chatting with you. It's so much fun. And I think like fucking stick it to the man and don't, you know, like that that idea that I feel a lot, that pressure of conformity in some ways especially with art or with external validation, like, yeah, it's really good just to remember that that's an external pressure and to have these types of conversations. So if anyone is randomly watching this, um, I'd say that I'm your fan. I like independent thinking and I bet you do too. <laughs> um, and I'm made by Una, that's O-O-N-A on everything. Twitter, Instagram, telepathy, less reliable but sometimes more fun <laughs> go find una everybody check out the <laughs> the milking the artist performance this is the deminti oh, this is the deminti mocha podcast <laughs> this is my katakuchi i'm colborn and a super super thank you to uh, our artist una thank you breaking news